It's interesting to note how housing has come front and center, at least for the politicians, but that wasn't always the case. We had very fine researchers like Mike P. Moffat. Dr. Moffat was on top of this ages ago, ages ago. And I'm, I'm proud to say he was the one who brought to our attention. And it's over three years ago talking about temporary visas, for example, as being real pressure, not obviously on the immigration broad system, but also on the housing market. And as I say, I've been greatly informed by his work. And I'm glad, so glad that he's joining us today. Mike, thanks so much for finding time for us. Oh, thank you for having me. Let, let me come to uh, just right cut to the chase, sort of surprise, and, and I absolutely don't let me put words in your mouth, but why did it take the federal government so long to figure out that when you add, you know, record numbers of uh, immigrants or targets, you know, and, and they made that very clear in October of 2020, and I remember talking about it myself, but of course, as you brought, I think, to the public's attention, it was, they had no idea how many were coming in on temporary visas, but they knew it was a lot. How come it takes so long to them to figure out, you know, they got to live somewhere? I mean, that's my criticism is <laughs> how slow they've been in reacting to this. Yeah, and I think that's a I think that's a fair point. Uh, the federal government had kind of always taken the position that uh, higher education is a provincial responsibility, which it is. So you know they should, if there were province uh, problems there, they should just let the provinces handle it. But you know, I, I, I think there's more than that. When it starts to bleed into housing, uh, and obviously it's a big component of our immigration system, the federal government issues these student visas. So I, th I think it's uh, fully within their rights to to do this kind of thing. I wish they had acted uh, years sooner. Um, you know, I, I think I wish they had been far less deferential to the provinces. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm glad we're here. It probably took a few years longer than it should have, but we finally got to the right place. If we open a dictionary, it might be the definition of better late than never, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I would. I think that's exactly what it is. Better, better late than never. Let's talk about what the changes are. They announced some changes that they're going to look at the, as I say, they didn't even know how many were coming in through those temporary visa programs, but now they're talking about change. So maybe just in a nutshell, give people what, what the new framework would look like. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, until recently, the number of international students, there was no cap on it, uh, that basically if you met the criteria you could come to Canada. So that, that was difficult for planning purposes. We didn't know if there would be, you know, 100,000 or 500,000 or a million international students coming in any given year. So what they've done is treated that like the rest of the immigration system by placing a hard cap on that. Uh, and then what they've done is allocated that cap across the provinces in a per capita basis. So if you're Ontario and you have 38% of the population, you get 38% of that cap. And they're basically letting the provinces uh, determine, uh, you know, how to allocate uh, the spaces among different uh, different institutions. So they're basically saying at that point, OK, well, if higher education is your responsibility. Uh, you dole, dole out these caps. And it's really interesting. So, the, you know, provinces that don't have a lot of international students, uh, Quebec is one, Alberta, Saskatchewan or another. This doesn't really affect them at all. They could continue to, to grow their international student population and not really be restricted in any way. They, they'd go a long way to bumping into their cap. But British Columbia and particularly Ontario, that gets a lot of international students, we're going to have to cut back. Here in Ontario, we're probably going to have to cut in half uh, our incoming students. So that's, you know, both B.C. government and Ontario's government, they have some really tough decisions to make. 
Well, and obviously, you know, when you have this system in place for so long that you've got a system that is predicated on those international students coming in. I mean, I've been hearing for years that they, you know, especially in British Columbia, as you say, Ontario, even bigger, that they're the ones that, you know, a lot of money comes from that. I mean, they get charged extra tuition. So you've got a system that relies on that cash. I mean, I'm starting to read about blowback on that issue. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so, you know, now that the colleges and universities are, are saying like, look, we're some of us are going to go broke. Uh, mm. we, we don't have uh, we don't have the money to pay for this in, in Ontario is particularly acute uh, because we uh, the, the provincial government funds our institutions far less than, than other provinces. We've been 10th out of 10th on per student funding for 38 of the last 40 years. Uh, so, you know, that's that's an issue. And the provincial government here uh, put a cap on tuition, actually reduced tuition by by 10 percent and a place a cap. So the schools are saying, well, well look, you, you won't let us raise tuition on domestic students and you cut it. Uh, you're not uh, you're not funding us. So, you know, if we can't get it from domestic students, we can't get it from the government. The only place we can get funding is from international students. And, and now that's gone. So that's a really messy fight here in Ontario. And I'm sure it's going to be the same in B.C. as well where you know the government has to decide okay are we going to allow domestic tuitions to go up are we going to bail out the sector or are we going to let some of these institutions fail and that's essentially what the federal government's done is is put this onto the province and say like look this is your mess you clean it up however you want but you're going to have to make some tough decisions should those decisions though a bit not the decision sorry about the size or the or the you know the amount of temporary visas as you say coming through uh, the provinces but shouldn't somebody have been looking also that coincides with our immigration targets too i mean just even a simple hey we're going to start letting in 500,000 people per year which was a new record and maybe i should check if anyone else is coming too <laughs> Yeah, I, I think ideally we should have been capping international students and temporary foreign workers years ago to, to better allow for planning. Because, I mean, that's that's essentially the challenge that, you know, if we don't know if our population's, you know, going to rise by 1% or 3%, you know, that makes a huge difference. I, I tend to focus on the housing side, but obviously it affects our healthcare system. It, it affects our infrastructure, our, um, you know, our, our uh, you know, lower ed uh, schools. So absolutely, there's a real kind of failure uh, to plan here. And, you know, again, I'm glad the federal government's stepping in. They should have done so years ago. Uh, you, as I say, you also specialize in housing. And uh, is that how you came upon this? By the way, you were looking at all the housing issues. You start noticing, hey, we've got a population issue too. You know, that yeah. size of the growth. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I started looking at uh, housing years ago in, in places uh, like my hometown of London, Ontario. And, you know, to put it in context, in, in London, we started to have a big house price boom around 2016 and 2017 or so, which is strange because we also had pretty much the highest unemployment rates uh, in the mm. country. And usually those things are correlated. Like if you look at Alberta, you know, home prices in Edmonton go up when the oil industry is doing well and they go down when, when oil prices are low. Well, in London, we had a really weak economy. We had, a, you know, many bad years for manufacturing and house prices were going up 20, 25%. So it's like something that that's not right. Something is going on here. So we started doing research 
around, okay, why is that, you know, quickly you get to population growth and going, okay, where, where are these people coming from? And in many cases, it was enrollments at uh, universities and, and colleges. And what, what essentially happens is those students need somewhere to live. So investors start buying up single family yeah. homes and turning them into student rentals. And that creates all kinds of pressures on the housing market. And let me just, sorry, backtrack just for a sec. I should have asked, what size of the problem when we talk about there's a lot of these visas coming out there? I mean, we're talking in the hundreds of thousands recently, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, to, and you know, to give you context, we, we have data on about 16 months worth of international student visas um, from beginning of January 2022 to the end of April 2023. And yeah, we're, we're looking at, at close to a million and, you know, some of these institutions are, are getting high. So uh, one, one example is uh, Conestoga College in the Kitchener-Waterloo area. Um, they admitted over 60,000 international students. Now, only half of them got visas. Only half of them were allowed to come in the country. Uh, the, the federal government actually rejected half of the applications. But that's still like 32,000 international students admitted in a 16-month period, at, you know, one, you know, fairly regional college. So it, it adds up. You know, if you're dumping tens of thousands of additional uh, persons, whether they be international students or anyone else in the Kitchener-Waterloo area, you know, that's going to absolutely start to break, uh, break housing markets. Who, who made the money on this? Like one of the things you've done, again, with you, what you've brought forward – that uh, I wouldn't have guessed it was so. I sort of thought these were all private institutions, you know, sort of sprouting up, pretty good business opportunity, you know, charge higher tuition, you know, sort of wink, wink, I'll get you a student visa kind of thing. But your research has found it wasn't that. It wasn't sort of a monster private sector push here. No, it really, it really wasn't. So, you know, across the country, uh, about a little less than 20% of the students uh, were attending sort of private career colleges. Mm -hmm. The vast majority were in the public system. Um, now, here in Ontario, we have this kind of weird hybrid thing where we have these public-private partnerships where public colleges can uh, recruit students and then outsource the teaching to uh, mm. to private institutions. So we've really blurred the lines here between between public and private. But you know, at the end of the day, this was mostly through the public system. I, and we've seen a few reports here here and there about uh, shady you know private operators taking advantage of the system, and that absolutely exists. But you know, most of this is is happening through through our public system. You know, Conestoga, for instance, as I mentioned earlier, that has by far uh, more student visas issued than anyone. They're a public institution. They don't have any public-private partnerships, uh, and they've you know massively increased their enrollment. Uh, they've had an operating surplus of over a hundred million dollars uh, for the, for each of the last three years, and they have a brand new campus in in, uh, in the city of Waterloo named after their current president and CEO. So there is an awful lot of empire building going on here. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I can't help but laugh thinking about that. But we are talking big money. That's the bottom line. And we're talking big money that supports the public system. Any thoughts on, as you say, some provinces not impacted? Quebec's already said we don't want foreigners by our <laughs> tuition structure. But Ontario and British Columbia as examples, I mean, this is going to be a huge hole in university budgets that 
I don't see how they're going to be able to fill it quickly, especially if this thing is kicking off September 2024. I mean, the clock's already ticking. Well, the, the clock is, is more than ticking because the federal government has said that they will not process any visas until uh, it, until the, the provinces determine what their allocation system is. So mm. everything is on hold right now. Uh, so so absolutely, the, the, the clock is ticking. Uh, the, the colleges here in Ontario suggest that this is going to cost them $1.5 billion a, a year. Now, obviously, their costs go down as, as well. There's fear of teaching. But yeah, that, this is what we're talking about. Like, the, this is a revenue uh, in, in the billions that is going to be needed to made up, make up somewhere. Do you suspect there'll be some significant blowback? Because it's going to be jobs, too. I mean, if you have less students at some point, you have to have less instructors or you will have less instructors. As you say, other parts of the infrastructure will be reduced. So, I mean, nobody likes to, I mean, I'm all for it. I don't want to lose jobs. I don't want people to lose jobs. It's, it's you know, you bring it down to a real personal level. It's a horrendous experience to lose your job. I just can't help but think this is just such a fundamental shift after doing it one way for several years, huge amounts of money build up, and now we're going to stop that. And pretty fast, as you've just said. I mean, they're already stopping it in one way. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, here here in Ontario so far, the, the response has actually been quite positive, uh, that there, there are concerns about um, – you know, availability of housing and, and so on. And to give you an example, uh, Patrick Brown, the mayor of Brampton, uh, back in December, their their council pa- passed a unanimous motion actually calling for something like this, right? So you're actually getting municipal councils telling, feder- you know, advising the federal governments like, hey, rein in the system. Now, that said, you know, that could change, that the reality may sink in, that if we start to see institutions in trouble or institutions institute, you know, mass layoffs or something like that, you know, perhaps the, the, the public sentiment might might change on this. Uh, but, but so far, it seems to be quite popular. And it's a little bit telling that, again, at least in Ontario, at least, um, the provincial government hasn't really been kicking and screaming about this. I think they, they've kind of taken the temperature recognized, you know, where the general public is on this and sort of realized, okay, this is, this is probably not a fight we're going to, to win. But yeah, I, I think you're right that, you know, as the realities of this sink in, um, we might start to have those concerns about, uh, about jobs or about the bailout of the sector and so on. I mean, of course, it's become a prominent issue because of housing, you know, that, uh, you know, I think it's something that's one of those issues that's well understood by the public and maybe oversimplistically, but they understand you bring in a whole bunch more people, they got to live somewhere, you bring in the students, as you say, and especially in the areas around the university. And it also seems from reports Uh, This isn't statistical, but uh, that we failed some of those students. They came with the promise of there would be some place to live, for goodness sakes. But uh, my point is the public seems to understand this. It's a straightforward line for them. And that's, to me, what what put it on the agenda, especially at the federal level, where we had the prime minister saying housing's not a, a federal issue. I think it was like in the summer. And three weeks later, when the polls come out and say, well, that's all fine, but you're going to lose a lot of votes. You know, and then we get what I call the announcement per week, uh, you know, to solve the housing issue. Yeah, no, I I, I think you're right. I I think that's what's really kind of mobilized the public on this, that it's really easy to understand. Uh, You know, it's not some, you know, convoluted thing about, you know, taxes or or regulations or something and how it affects housing, Uh, you know. 
too many people, too few houses is not that yeah. hard to, to, to understand. So I, I think that has got the, uh, the public on, on board here. And I think that's what's made uh, this a popular move. And yeah, absolutely. That the international students themselves are often the victims of, of this. Um, and that's one of the interesting things to see. If you go on Reddit or some of the other places like that, some of the loudest voices supporting this are international students themselves. You know, naturally they have some concerns, but a lot of them are like saying like, look, there are too many of us for the housing stock. And had, you know, had I known what I was getting myself into, you know, had the recruiter painted a more accurate picture, I might not have come. So, so I I think that's important to recognize as, as well, that the current system is not working well for international students themselves. I think obviously the increased level of attention by the public is is positive, but I still looking at like CMHC statistics, you know, that came out for 223 compared to what CMHC says we need in additional housing units, you know, to get affordability. Well, we're we're not even in the same ocean on those things. I mean, with I know I know the number I'm you know overly simplistic, but the number is we were flatlining to a slight decline, you know, when it comes to the construction of new units. At a time when, if I you know looked at the numbers from the CMHC, they're sort of saying, "I think you need about seven hundred thousand a year for the next seven years." <laughs> you know, those aren't the same, and you know, I just don't see enough progress. You know, there. And I talked to, uh, in fact, on today's show, we're going to talk later to uh, our regular Aussie jerk, but he was just hanging out with a whole bunch of developers and getting their take on it. And you know, projects getting withheld, stopped. You know, another one of those disconnects between the private and public uh, private sector and the government about if you and truly do want more units. Yeah, no, absolutely. So the CMHC is saying that we need to somewhere between double and, and triple uh, housing construction per year, um, you know, d- depending on how you interpret that data. Well, if you look, you know, last year, housing starts were down 7% uh, across the country. BC was up, but most of the other provinces mm-hmm. were down. So, you know, if you if you need to increase 100, 150, 200%, and you're going down by 7%, you know, that's, uh, that's making a bad situation worse. Now, a lot of that has to do with with economic conditions obviously higher interest rates are affecting both the demand and supply side um so i think overall we've had some pretty good policy but it hasn't been able to counteract the uh, the, the effects of uh the global economy so and, and the beginning of this year looks rough as well by by all uh, by all forecasts. So hopefully, you know, the end of 2024 should be better. But yeah, we, we're moving in the wrong direction. You know, you know, we're not we're not even staying flat at the time where we need to be doubling or tripling. And I would think you had alluded to this earlier that you know it's just you're not going to solve a problem that's been years in the making in 15 minutes. So yes, now it is on the public agenda. And a lot of it is photo op driven. And this is my, this is not Mike Moffat talking people. Uh, this is Mike Campbell talking, you know, but a lot of it's photo op driven. We're going to build 11 new units you know, in a city that's going to absorb 45,000 people, you know? Uh, so I just think the task, I'm, I'm not particularly optimistic about this. I think the task is just too big unless there's even a more aggressive adjustment, a sort of a timeout period for immigration, timeout period for, I'm just trying to adjust or address that demand side that's inherent. People live somewhere. So how about yourself? Am I, am I too pessimistic? But I don't see the numbers when you say you get a decline like we did last year and going, oh, wrong direction. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I certainly think we are in a highly challenging environment, and I think we can get a little bit too glib sometimes about how easy this is going to be. Uh, yeah. But, okay, yeah, if we just, uh, you know, allow fourplexes as of right, you know, that that's going to get us there, or whatever the policy solution is. This is a massive uphill battle. Like, this, this is a generational challenge, yeah. uh, because this has been decades uh in, in the making and then yeah you couple that with uh you know increased population growth this is this is a massive challenge and i'd love to see governments you know all orders of government get together and go okay how do we how do we better align these things how do we better align housing growth and, and population growth and make make sure that you know we we have the labor uh we need to build because we have to make sure um that we, we have the skilled labor to do that. And, you know, part of that is going to be immigration, uh, you know, making sure that skilled tradespeople can um, can come to Canada. So it's just aligning those things. But right now, you know, we make our immigration decisions, our international student decisions, our labor market decisions and our housing policy. They're all done in these silos. Um, and it just leads to this discoordinated mess where, again, you know, population growth is going up, but housing starts are going down. Well, I'll give you one example. I'm just saying you might not have been able to follow it because it was out in Victoria going back about a year ago. And they said, basically, you can add another house to your lot or more, you know, and they had no applications. That's the thing I want to bring, you know, so they can say stuff, but you've got to get the development community on board and the investment community on board with this stuff. And I think there's more work to do when you look at the municipal level where there just seems a relentless increase in this fee or that fee, you know, report uh, out of the board of trade, I think uh, pegged at about 25% of the cost of a new build was government related, you know, uh, wherever it is. And it's different, of course, different municipalities, you know, uh, but still it's sizable. And it just seems like there's so many disconnects here. Like, I I don't think the formulas may take time to employ, but it sure isn't helped when you're running across currents at times. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, we see that, uh, again, here uh, in many communities in Ontario, we're now allowing fourplexes as of right. But, you know, if you've got a system where, uh, you know, development charges on that are, you know, 4X and then, oh, by the way, we're going to put in a parking minimum. So each of those units has to have a, a spot. Um, you know, we're putting in height maximums and so on. It's like, yeah, you can legalize these things, but if you coat the rest of it in so much red tape, you know, they're just not going to get built. So absolutely. I, I think we need to do more to make sure all of these policies are aligned and look at, look at those outcomes and say, okay, you know, if we do want more row houses or fourplex or, or what have you, are all of our other places aligned to, to do that? Because, yeah, if you, you start putting all of these other, you know, frontage restrictions and what have you on that, it's like, yeah, it's legal in theory, but not necessarily in practice because of the, this web of other rules and regulations. Well, that that is certainly an area that needs more attention. The fact that politicians are talking about it isn't a solution, and we have to hold their feet to the fire. But I'll tell you, the work you do, uh, you know, and people can find it at Mike. P. Moffitt on Twitter, Mike P. Moffitt. I really invite people to go there. Always some great data, great insights uh, from Mike, but that's what we have to do. I mean, this is one of those things, Mike, I was thinking the other day, you know, some people may not pay attention to municipal politics or provincial or whatever. And I go, well, guess what? You're going to wake up and you aren't living in the same neighborhood. Uh, you know, this is this is a key key subject, but I invite people to go to Mike at Mike P. Moffitt on Twitter. You do a great job keeping up to date, and we really appreciate you finding time for us here. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for the kind words, and thanks for having me today.